It's a privilege to be here with you all. Nice to see some familiar faces, but also nice to meet some new people here this morning. Got privileged to meet a few people that I haven't met yet. So great to be in your community and just to be a part of you guys. This is, you know, this is home to me. Oceanside Church has been part of my life for creeping on 20 years now, believe it or not. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a long time. I love this community. God has done great things in my life as I've been a part of this community. Uh, I've had some, have had some fun this last couple of weeks with my eldest daughter. She's been taking swimming lessons and learning how to swim and falling in love with swimming lessons. And I, I was watching her go to her class and get so excited. And, you know, I got to take her and I got to hear and see what she was getting all excited about. But I was kind of surprised, you know, when I showed up, she wasn't sitting in a classroom learning about all the different swimming techniques. She wasn't taking notes on a piece of paper. She was in the pool. Surprise? The best way to learn how to swim is to do it. And uh, she was following the directions of her instructor, who was showing her what to do and telling her what to do, and she was practicing it right away. Uh, For us as a community, we've been in this series on becoming like Jesus and just talking about how we are disciples being shaped and formed into his image. And I feel it's very much the same as swimming lessons. We actually have to put actions to the things that we're learning. If we think that we're going to become like Jesus just because we've been here on a Sunday and we're hearing about Jesus, I want to say it's probably not going to happen as good as you hope. You're not going to be that great of a swimmer. But if you get in the pool and you start to put things to action, God is going to bring change in your life and he's going to bring growth in your life. And it's going to be good. You're going to see his purposes worked out in you. How many of you are excited about that? I'm excited about that. You know, I was looking at, we were looking at the topics and the things that are relevant when we consider what it means to become like Jesus. And we kind of think we could just stay here for about three years, maybe four. What do you guys think? There's about that much stuff, really. The Bible's full of it. We're not going to be there that long. But uh, one of the things that's jumped out is just the importance of prayer. I think when we look at Scripture, one of, the, one of the most key significant things to becoming like Jesus is to learn to pray like Jesus. The other thing is probably reading our Bible, but as we grow and mature, prayer is significant. Prayer is a foundation for us as believers. So if we want to become like Jesus... We're going to want to pray like Jesus. So that's our focus for this morning, and I'm going to share on prayer. Martin Luther said this. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is central in the life of following Jesus. It's how we communicate with God. If there's no communication, then there is no reality to relationship. We need communication to have relationship. If you don't believe me, for those of you that have a spouse or a significant other, try this. Try being in the presence of your significant other and not communicating at all. I mean like no eye contact, no hugs, no smiles, heaven forbid words, like say nothing. Let me know how that goes for you. See me later for other good marriage advice. It's probably not going to go very well. Because if there's no communication, then there's no relationship. But the, the converse is also true. The stronger our communication, the stronger our relationship. So here's a real marriage tip. 
If you want to see breakthrough in your marriage and you want to see things improve in your relationships, work on communication. Work on communication. I promise you it'll get better. All right, let's come back to prayer. So prayer is the primary form of communication for us with God. But it's more than just a conversation. It's more than just an opportunity to dump our struggles and woes somewhere. It's more than just getting advice for our situation and circumstance. Bill Johnson said this about prayer. He said, prayer is not just a religious activity or a spiritual discipline. It's a way of life. It's a way of staying connected to God throughout the day, inviting his presence into every moment and partnering with him to bring his kingdom on earth. Prayer is powerful. You see, prayer connects us to the purposes of God. Prayer connects us to the purposes of God. And Jesus spent time in prayer. He modeled it for us, and he led by example, and then he showed us how to pray. I think we could camp here for a long time because the word is full of teaching on prayer and the importance of prayer. But I'm hoping this morning that we can lay a bit of a foundation. Uh, Many of us are on different journeys. Like Some of us are maybe new in our faith or learning how to pray. Maybe some of us are seniors in our faith and you might feel like you've mastered it. But we're all in between here and we're all on this journey. But I think it's important that we get on the same page of the significance of prayer and what God tells us about prayer because it is powerful and God moves through prayer. Amen? All right, so uh, I think... Let's, let's start in a scripture. Let's start in Matthew 6. So if you have a Bible, if you have an iPad, if you want to open up ChatGPT, if anybody's playing with that new AI thing online, why don't you just open up whatever it is that you want to look at for scripture, put your bookmark in this spot. We're going to chew through this passage because there's a lot of truth in here for us. So how do we pray? We're talking on prayer, I'm assuming as if everybody knows, but how do we pray? Let's see what the word says. The first thing I want to say is that we pray with humility. How do we pray? We pray with humility. That's the first thing. So when I'm referencing praying with humility, let's read what this passage says in Matthew 6, 5. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your prayer, sorry, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, Jesus taught his disciples to approach God with humility. This is an attitude and a position of our heart and how we are in relation to this holy and magnificent God that we're singing about and worshiping. It's a position of our heart. It's not thinking low of ourselves. It's just putting ourselves in the right context of this incredible star-breathing God. So we pray with humility. And as he's explaining this, he says, avoid hypocritical and showy prayers. So the Greek word for hypocrite is to be an actor or a stage player. So essentially describing um, the action of trying to get attention, right? Being insincere in our actions. So what we know from this is that prayer isn't about getting other people's attention. Prayer isn't for other people. We have an audience of one. We pray for his attention 
God and his attention alone. We don't pray because there's people around us that we want them to hear our lofty prayers. He also teaches us here and he says to pray in secret. Yes, we pray corporately and corporate prayer is important, but there's something significant for us as individuals in that relationship, that, that deep, intimate relationship that God has for us in secret prayer. He says pray in secret. So the best place for us to grow and learn to communicate with God is actually on our own, in private and out loud, praying out loud. So in verse 6, it says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray, in your um, pray to your Father who is in secret. You know, he didn't just tell us this. So Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. But you know, Jesus was really good, just like, you know, the instructor in the pool for my daughter's class. He didn't just tell them in a classroom. He showed them how to do it, and then he demonstrated it. So how many times do we see in the word where Jesus withdrew from his disciples and he went to pray? He went to pray. It says he does it in the morning. He said he did it late in the evening. You know, Jesus prayed even when it was inconvenient. He prayed when he was tired. He even prayed when the disciples wanted him to do something different. Jesus made time to pray with the Father. It's a great example for us. It's a great example of humility that he gave us as well. I think a, the, the most common example of Jesus and prayer and humility is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you don't know this passage, I'll read it. Matthew 26, 39, it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in this moment of Jesus' great distress, as the impending death on the cross is coming, Jesus knew it was coming. Jesus humbly approaches the Father and says, if you can let this thing pass, if I don't have to do this, let it pass. But ultimately, I submit to your will, God. Ultimately, I humble myself. I'm here to do what it is that you want me to do. What an incredible example of humility. Now, Jesus prayed it with his words, but he actually followed through with his actions, didn't he? The word says when we read in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself even to death on the cross. Wow. He modeled it for us. So we approach God with humility when it comes to prayer. What else do I see when I read this passage? The next thing is to keep it simple. When we pray, we keep it simple and focused. So it says in verse 7 in Matthew, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask. Jesus is teaching us on the simplicity and the importance of focus in our prayer. So the Greek word, when you look at the word heap up, what does it mean to heap up? It's simply this, to use many words without reason. All right. I'm sure some of us need a reminder that we don't need to use many words when we come and we pray to God because he already knows. It's a good reminder. God knows before we even ask him what's on our hearts. He knows our circumstance. We don't have to explain all the intricacies and details. He knows. He sees it. So I think Jesus had spent enough time, if you look at his life, being around religious people to know and recognize that they needed a reminder, right, to keep their prayer simple. 
and to keep it focused. It's not about finding the right words when we pray. It's not about finding the right words. You know, you don't have to pray in King James to sound holy or to be heard by God. Surprise. All right, you guys are quiet today. God just wants us to be genuine and real and come before him with an honest, genuine heart. That's what he's looking for when we come before him and when we pray. Martin Luther said this, he said, Prayer is not reciting many words, but stretching out our hearts to God. What's the next thing I see? The third thing I see, and I have six of these, the third thing I see is that uh, when, we, when we pray, we start with him and his purposes. Look at what it says, Matthew 6, 9. We know this passage well. This is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But before I read it, I think it's really important that we recognize that what Jesus is teaching the disciples is a template or a pattern for how to pray. He's not saying that these are the only words you pray. We don't just recite this like, a, like an anthem. This is a, a, a process or a way in which we can approach God. So we start with him and his purposes. Let's read and let's see how, how he explains we should do this. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we start with him. Our Father. It's very personal. He's our good and mighty father. He's the one that you can come before. With whatever it is, you can come before your dad. You know that my kids can come to me with anything and it's a safe place. We start with an acknowledgement that he is our father and we are his sons and daughters. We can come to him when we read this. We get to come. Yes, we, we don't deserve the love that we get from this father. It's an unearned agape love. It's unmerited. We don't deserve what God gives us, but he's constant in it and he doesn't change. And we can come before him because he is a good father. Our father, where is he? who is seated in heaven, he is enthroned. This is about him when we come before the Lord. This gives us the perspective of who we're approaching. He's seated in heaven. He's not standing on the edge of the, you know, of heaven looking down going, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen now. No, he's seated. He's enthroned. Immovable, unshakable, the highest authority, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, this is our mighty and powerful God that we are approaching. And we approach him who is sovereign and almighty and we do it with reverence and awe, right? It says, hallowed be your name. This means holy is your name. The name that is set apart above every other name. The name that is sacred. The name that is worthy of our worship and praise. When we come before him, we approach him with praise and worship. I think if you're looking for breakthrough in your life, if you need to see circumstances change, I want to tell you something right now. We need to come before him and approach him first with worship and praise and adoration for who he is. And if you want to see breakthrough in your life, we need to stop approaching God with our shopping list and start approaching him with worship and praise. You will see breakthrough. I'm telling you, you will see breakthrough. It doesn't mean that the things you want to bring aren't valid. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. God is a God of detail. But we must acknowledge who he is. This is how we approach him. 
We got to lift our eyes to the eternal and get it off the, the circumstantial things around us. Let's lift our eyes to see him high and lifted up. In Psalm 100 verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. When we come before the Lord in prayer, let's come praying and exalting and magnifying the name of Jesus. That's how we start. What else do I see? Well, we start with him, but we also start with his purposes. This is where we're actually coming before him and we're submitting ourselves to him. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom, not my will, not my plans, not my desires. All of these things, we come before him and they come in submission to him and what he wants to do, his purposes. Amen? It's an important reminder because we often want to come and rush into his presence with the shopping list and the concerns. But the Lord says that we come and we submit to him. And it's about his purposes. Where? On on earth as it is in heaven. Which means his rule and his reign. It means that God wants to come in all power and break into our reality and bring his kingdom here on earth. I want to see the kingdom of God come not just in my life but through my life. God doesn't want to just bring his kingdom in the four walls of this church community. He wants to bring his kingdom in you. He wants to bring it in your life. He wants to bring it in your sphere of influence. He wants to bring it into your workplace, in your family, God's purposes. So we come before him to get in line with his purposes when we pray. You know, I often think about this piece of humility, and we started on this. Humility is submitting ourselves to the purposes and plans of God and putting them first. You know, there's a scripture that we often quote, and sometimes we maybe brush over it or because we've heard it so often, it doesn't have as much significance. You're familiar with the passage where it says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble, right? Just think about this for a moment. That word opposes seems fairly soft. Other translations say resist. Let's say it this way. God stands in active opposition to those of us that approach him with pride. How many of us think it's a good idea to stand in active opposition to this holy and mighty God? That sounds like a losing position. That sounds like a losing position, probably not one you want to stay in for long. Just a side note for all my hockey fans out there, that's why Bo Horvat left the Canucks. He didn't want to stay in a losing position. All right, but don't stay in a losing position. Let's check our hearts. If we're coming before the Lord with pride, my goodness, friends, it's not a good place to be. We want to humble ourselves, which means submitting all of these things that we think are prayers, but maybe we're treating like demands. We want to submit all of it to him and allow God's purposes to be number one. Hey? Okay, so these first three things are so much about our attitude and our position and how we approach God in prayer. Well, what else do I see? What else do I see when we look at the word here? Well, I think what's great is that Jesus also acknowledges that it's okay to ask God for things. That, yeah, we approach him this way, fantastic, but it's also okay to come with your stuff. So the next point for us is ask God for what you need. 
Pretty simple. Fourth point, ask God for what you need. It says here in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is teaching the disciples that it's okay to pray for our needs. That actually God wants to be engaged in our daily lives. He wants us to look to him, to rely on him. He wants us to come to him with our needs. So he's a good father and he wants to help. It's really important that we hear that. God is a good father. He wants to help. We know a scripture that references, you know, what father holds back good from his kids. In, in Matthew 7 verse 9 in the Passion Translation, just because it reads differently, it says, Do you know any of any parent who would give his hungry child who asks for food a plate of rocks instead? No good parent's going to do that. Then it goes on and says, well, how much more would our Father in heaven, if we being wicked, want to give good gifts to our kid? How much more does God want to give good gifts to us? How much more does he care about our situation and circumstance? We can approach God. You know, daily bread emphasizes our dependence on him. It's a daily thing. Daily bread, it's the requirement for today. What do we need? I know that when we think of this, we don't, we don't have the same reliance on bread, so to speak, but it isn't just bread. It's whatever we need in a moment. God is there and he's paying attention. But it is ultimately more focused on the, the needs versus the wants, right? I think we, we think and maybe get these things confused because we live a fairly comfortable life in North America and we kind of slip our wants into our needs pile. And, you know, maybe some of us need to readjust what are our actual needs and what are our wants. I'll leave that between you and the Lord, but I know that the word is talking about, you know, being content, you know, and the word says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. I think sometimes if we approach God so much with all of these wants and desires, sometimes they actually don't have much to do with the kingdom. And it's hard for us to hear the purposes of God because we're so focused on what we think is important versus listening to what he says is important. So we want to be coming and asking for needs, not getting carried away with wants. All right, I know you didn't want to hear that, but we got to say it. It's truth. All right. What else do I see? In, uh, in this passage, there's something else that's pretty significant that Jesus is teaching them when we come before the Lord in prayer. And it's that we repent and we forgive. We repent and we forgive. And we do it in prayer. It says in verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So debts in this passage is a metaphor. It sounds like we're talking about money here, but it's not money. The word also translates to trespasses or translates to sin. So this is an acknowledgement that for us, we need to confess our sins to God, that we come before him and say, God, I'm a mess. I need your help. We confess sin to him. The word is repentance, and it translates to a change of mind or a change of heart. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Turn back. It's we were going one way, and we have a recognition of what sin is and what we need to deal with with God, and we repent. We say, God, I won't want to do this anymore. And there's an action and a response from us that is turning the other direction. It doesn't mean we fixed everything, but it's a turning another direction and saying, God, I want help. 
I repent. I'm sorry. This isn't good. I don't want this to be a part of my life. And we repent. Why? So God can set us free. He doesn't want us tangled up in sin. Sin will hold us back from the purposes of God in our lives. He wants us set free. I want to be set free. And for us, this is a necessary step for forgiveness. If we want to see the forgiveness of God, it's going to require repentance on our, heart, on our part. But man, God is gracious and merciful and he's quick to respond to us when we come before him this way. So in prayer, this is one of the things that we do. We repent. But also, what, what's another thing here that holds us back from the purposes of God? It's unforgiveness. Man, the enemy will use unforgiveness to hold us back. God wants us to forgive. The word says forgive. It says in verse 12, forgive us our debts, but also as we forgive our debtors. Forgive the people that have wronged us. I mean, then it says something that's really wild. It says in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father it says, or neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You see, we forgive because he, forgave, he first forgave us. How can we not? If we can't forgive others, I would say it, it's basically saying that we haven't received, maybe we haven't repented or received forgiveness from God the way that we need to. Because how can we possibly hold on to unforgiveness when we've been forgiven? Listen to what John Stott says. This is for you, Nathan, little John Stott. It says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offenses against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Wow. Matthew 7, 3 to 5 goes on and talks about the speck in our eye. You know, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you still have not noticed the log in your own? Forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness is hard. But the Lord says to give it to him in prayer. It doesn't mean that we're accepting that what has been done to us is okay. I think that's really imperative that we hear. It doesn't mean that we accept that what's done is okay, that it was right. There's some terrible things that people do to each other. There's some terrible things that I'm sure you've done to others. But you know, repentance and then the following piece of forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, Lord, where, where, where it's impacted me, I don't want to hold on to it any longer. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to sit in the judgment seat and wait till judgment comes in a form that I deem sufficient. We are not the judges. God is the judge. Let him do his job. He's really good at it. He's really good at it. Don't hold on to stuff. God wants us to be set free. Let him do his job. Amen? Freedom comes when we give forgiveness. And we come and we start with Jesus. It starts with him. We forgive others in prayer with him. And God will release you from those things. God wants to release people. As I was preparing this message, I really felt like God wants to set people free who have harbored unforgiveness. And you feel like you've dealt, like, dealt with it, but there's still this chain anchored around you and you can't seem to get free. I just want you to know that just because 
something's happened to you doesn't mean you can't get free. Don't let that thing define you. Let what Jesus says about you define you. And he says, you're my son and you're, you're my daughter, and you are who I say you are, and you're set free. Amen? It's good news. God wants to set people free. What else do I see when I read this passage? It says this in verse 13. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's easy to brush over this, but I don't think we should. One of the other things for us when we come before the Lord in prayer is that we seek God's protection and we seek his guidance. Both of them. We know that we're prone to sin. We know it. We know that the enemy is alive and well, and he's out and he's after us. We just heard a fantastic message from Nathan last week on temptation. The enemy is constantly trying to derail us and tempt us. Absolutely. You know, Jesus was tempted. In Hebrews 4.15, it says that he was tempted in every way. Think about that. Every way. Any way that you could possibly think that we are tempted, it says Jesus was tempted in every way. But you know, I think that he did, he did a great job of modeling what it meant to deal with temptation for us. And he showed us how to deal with it. He did. And so many times it's him coming before the Lord and praying and seeking God for breakthrough. And we seek his protection and we seek his guidance. You see, there are forces of evil in this world, and they're out to destroy us. Surprise. It's true. And we live in a world that's filled with it. It's filled with darkness. I, it's no longer hiding in the shadows. I don't know if you're watching what's happening in the world today. It's not just hiding in the shadows. I don't watch the Grammys, but if you watch the Grammys and you saw the performance they put on, there's like this mockery and celebration of evil in our day and age. It's happening and getting pushed all around us. It really is. It's not just hiding in the shadows. The enemy wants to come against the church, and the enemy wants to come against this generation, and the younger generation, man. But God says that we can come before him in prayer. The Lord says that we can come before him and pray. What can we do? We can pray. And the word says that he will deliver us, which means that he will set us free from any dominion and power and authority in darkness. Amen? It doesn't have any power or authority over us. Let me say that for you. The enemy has no power and authority over you when you come to the Lord in prayer. This is the God that we serve. Phil Wickham teaches us this in a song. I love this song. I was we're just going through it this week. It says, it's called the battle song. How do you like that? It says, so when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Battle belongs to you. You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win some battles. You win every battle. Nothing can stand before the power of our God. When we sing songs like this, it's a declaration against the kingdom of darkness that it has no right to stand against the kingdom of light. No right. And prayer is a powerful tool. 
It's okay. You can get excited. It's good. Prayer is a powerful tool. We fight on our knees. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood when I acknowledge the evil and the sin around us. Don't try and do it in your own strength. Do it in prayer. God gave us a powerful and mighty tool, and that's prayer. Prayer connects us to the purposes of God, remember? And it ushers in the kingdom. It ushers in the kingdom in the world around us. And it means that the kingdom of light overtakes the kingdom of darkness. It never goes the other way. That's why we can pray. It never goes the other way. Prayer changes circumstances. It can turn an impossible situation into a possible situation. Prayer can pull down strongholds. Prayer can break chains as we sing. Prayer moves the hand of God. When we read through scripture, we see God respond to prayer. Man, I started reading through prayer and just reading through what the word teaches us on prayer. And I I got stuck on this one little spot in the book of Daniel Because I think sometimes we struggle with, well, when I pray, how come it doesn't happen? Or when I need breakthrough, you know, does God hear me? And I was reading this in the book of Daniel, and I was reflecting on this encounter that Daniel has with an angel. And the angel's explaining that, that he was held up, that the prayers went out and that he was dispatched, but he was held up by the devil. The enemy was holding him back. A dark force was holding him back from getting to Daniel. And look at what he says to Daniel. He says in Daniel 10, 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. From the first day your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. When we pray, angels are dispatched in heaven. Believe it or not. And I don't understand how all the battle goes on in the heavenly realms, but we know that there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And we're praying to see heaven come to earth. And what this is showing is that when we pray, we need to continue to keep praying because the moment we pray, God hears. That God hears. I really feel like there's people here that need to know that God has heard your prayers. That if you have been holding something in prayer, that the Lord has heard what you are praying. He has heard and he has dispatched the heavens and he wants to move and he's going to move. And can I encourage you to keep praying, keep rending heaven, keep lifting up prayers. God is moving in our midst. Breakthrough is coming. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Prayer is a powerful weapon that pulls down strongholds. It breaks chains. It changes the impossible. We can intercede for situations to see them change. I've started with some very basic fundamentals of prayer, but there is so much on prayer. You know, if you want some books to read, E.M. Bounds teaches some great stuff in his books on prayer. Uh, Dutch Sheets does a great job teaching through intercessory prayer. Prayer is powerful. God's given us a tool to change situations and circumstance. It's prayer. 
And we can come before him praying and knowing that we have a powerful God. When I started reading through the power of God through prayer, I was undone looking at the scriptures that I read. And I'm going to read some of them and then we're going to pray for you guys. Let me read some. Let me just read some of these things. Because I was convicted, why don't I pray more? Look at this, James 5.16. It says that we can pray for one another and that we will be healed. That's not just words. I know in reflection that when we pray for healing, that healing can come. I've seen people healed. I've seen God change circumstances. I've been in all-night prayer meetings praying for Deborah Graves, who needed a transplant for a liver. And you know, she got it, amazing, but within a short period of time, that liver failed. How many stories do you know where a second liver just shows up within the timeline? That never happens. People don't get two transplants. We prayed fervently for God to come and move in power. And you know what? Miraculously, a second liver came available and she got a transplant. And she's here today because of the power of prayer. Prayer works. God moves in prayer. Look at this, Jeremiah 29, 12. Call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will hear you. 33, 3, Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things. Psalm 107, 28. Then they cried to the Lord in the trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And it says, and he brought them to their desired haven. God moves in prayer. Prayer is powerful. It'll change circumstances. It'll change situations. We can see sick people healed. The word says through prayer, demons flee. Yeah, there are demons, believe it or not, but don't fear. The word says through prayer, they go. Amazing. This is our God. Prayer moves God's hand and God moves in power. We need to pray more. I want to end with this one scripture and then I'm going to turn it over to Wes. Maybe if the worship team wants to come up while we're doing this. Listen to this. This is a passage that that we felt as a church in the early stages of COVID. And we ministered through a number of times. And even, I think, just before COVID. But look at this passage in 2 Chronicles 7. Look at what it says of how God responds to prayer. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. This is our God. He wants to move. And he's given us a powerful tool. He's given us prayer. It's communion with the Father, and it will bring change. It'll bring change in your life, It'll bring change in your family. It'll bring change in your workplace. It'll bring change in whatever circumstance you want to apply it. This is the intimacy that we have with God in prayer, that God will bring change wherever we go and step foot, because that's how the kingdom of God comes. Amen? Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Wes.